You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Good morning, guys. If you're new with us and I haven't gotten the opportunity to meet you yet, my name's Joe, one of the leaders here, and uh, we're going to continue our study in Luke's gospel today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62, and our hope is is that not just if you're visiting, but even if you've been a long-time member, long-time participant in our church family here, our our hope is is that you would encounter or experience the presence of Christ in a very authentic and real and relational uh, way this morning. Uh, It's not just that we want to preach words from the pages of Scripture. It's not just that we want to sing songs. It's not just that we want to go through the the motions of engaging communion together. What we really hope, what we really desire, what we really want is to see Jesus in our midst in such a powerful way that you encounter him and that that's life-changing for you. And so I just want to say that before we get started in our study. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. If you would turn there in your Bibles, we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Been studying through the Gospel of Luke now for over a year. We're loving the slow cooking, slow baking process uh, of, of just observing Jesus the way Luke describes and tells the story and, and, and tells the narrative. Let me read, beginning in verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And let me pray a blessing over God's word before I begin to preach. Father, as we prepare to hear the preaching of your word today, God, I pray that you would help our hearts. God, help our hearts be ready to receive what you would say to us. Help us to be ready to receive what you would say to us about what it means to follow you and stay focused on where you are taking us. What it means to be people who are focused on following you and leaving everything behind if that's what you ask us to do. Help us to learn 
what your word says about following you this morning. In Jesus' name, and everyone said? <clears throat> so this portion of Luke's gospel is all about following Jesus, okay? It's all about following Jesus. And, and this isn't the first time that, that Luke has landed on this topic or this theme. It's not the first time. In fact, you can make the argument that all of Scripture really centers around this whole theme or topic of following Jesus. And just, just, just to highlight a few examples from the Gospel of Luke that we've been studying now over the last year, just a few examples, even just over the last few weeks, a few months. Man, in chapter 5, you'll remember, some of you will remember that Dale Fenske was here and preached through a portion of chapter 5 regarding what it means to follow Jesus by leaving our old lives behind and becoming fishers of men. Jesus, in that text and that chapter says, come and follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. Chapter 5 of Luke. <clears throat> then again, in chapter 8, we, we see the same theme pop again and we learn, you'll remember, I think I preached through this text a few weeks back and we learned that, that when people experience the miraculous power of God at work in their lives, that they will give generously to support the ministry of the gospel as they follow Jesus. From chapter 8, we, we remember there was a story of women who were set free powerfully from demonic oppression and presence in their lives, and then they supported the work of the ministry of the gospel through Jesus. And then moving on into chapter 9, literally just a couple of weeks ago, we studied again what it means to follow Jesus. And what we learned is we learned that to follow Jesus means to pick up the cross and to carry it the same way that, that Jesus picked up his cross and carried it. He walked a life towards his death for our sake so that we could then pick up our crosses and live while, while suffering and facing hardship. We learn that people who follow Jesus pick up their crosses and suffer for the sake of Christ. <clears throat> so now as we consider this text today, as we consider this portion of text, we notice that Luke is dealing with the theme of what it means to follow Jesus again. He's dealing with it again and he's, and he's, and he's trying to show us what it means to follow Jesus wholeheartedly and actively. I mean, there is a wholeheartedness that must be present in us as we are following Jesus. There's also activity that must take place as we are following him. And we have to ask ourselves this question. Here's the big question of the day. What is it that keeps me from following Jesus wholeheartedly and actively? What is it that, that impedes that? What is it that hinders me following him wholeheartedly, completely, totally committed, actively? What is competing with me, giving myself in wholehearted devotion to following Jesus today? And if Philip Ryken says this as, as he's quoting J.C. Ryle, and commenting on this text, he says, those who look back want to go back. And if we are looking back to anything in this world, we are not fit to be his disciples. 
If we keep second guessing our decision for Christ or looking back fondly on our old affections or even, or even worse, going back to the places where we used to sin, we will never get anywhere with Jesus. If we want to be his disciples, we need to follow him without any further delay. In other words, if I could summarize what Riken and, and, and Ryle are saying, following Jesus is a forward-thinking action. You should write that down. Following Jesus is a forward-thinking action. It's forward-thinking action that follows Jesus towards a destination while giving up anything that holds us back from following him immediately. I love dreaming about the preferred future of God's calling on our lives. Christianity is not a stagnant and stale, stay in your place kind of a quote-unquote religion where it is actually a relationship with a savior and a king and a messiah who is taking us somewhere. That's why I love dreaming about the preferred future of God's calling on our lives. It's the same reason. It's the same reason that I, I love watching National Lampoon's vacation movies. About the holidays, these movies will pop back up on cable TV. And I love watching those movies because those movies are all about getting out of Dodge and setting the cruise control on the family station wagon, the green one, of course, right? And setting our attention on, on heading towards a preferred location or a preferred vacation destination. There are always these little distractions, though. If you've if you, if you seen the movies, if you, if you watch the movies, there's always these little distractions along the way that compete with the family's devotion and ability to reaching their little slice of heaven, right? I mean, there, there's Clark's infatuation with the blonde bombshell in the red sports car that becomes a distraction. <clears throat> there's... Uh, Dog urine on the pile of family picnic sandwiches. And uh, while you're watching that, you'll notice that grandma loves those sandwiches. Uh, then there's the dog that appropriately or inappropriately, however you look at it, got left tied to the bumper of the station wagon. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. And then grandma dies. I guess she shouldn't have eaten the urine-soaked sandwiches. Uh, the car breaks down, right? The Griswolds get lost. Now, the movie, this movie is all about uh, basically making fun of all the ups and downs and little distractions and, and hardships of life while trying to move from point A to point B. Especially the things that happen that distract us, take us away from, or inhibit our journey through life. That, that's what that movie is kind of all about, is, is, is highlighting and making fun of those things that inhibit us going somewhere. And this is why this text is so important for us today because this text is all about following Jesus while identifying the things that inhibit or detract from or deter from or take away from or stop or distract or use, insert, whatever word you'd like to insert. This text is all about what is it that stops us from following Jesus in, a, in an active way. Notice, notice that Jesus 
In verse 51, look at verse 51. Jesus is determined. He's determined to follow the will of his Father in heaven. And in fact, this phrase, you might underline it, set his face. That phrase, set his face, in verse 51 literally means that Jesus was determined or committed to following his Father's will, regardless of the cost. And notice, too, that in the first part of verse 51... Luke says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So there's two phrases in this opening sentence of our text. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. There's two things that are taking place. The days are drawing near for Jesus to be taken up, referring to a destination that Jesus is headed toward. We know that he's headed towards Jerusalem But what's taking place here is the days are drawing near for Jesus to be taken up. He's he's getting ready to die. He's getting ready to die. He's getting ready to be placed in a grave. He's getting ready to be resurrected. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven. This is his destination. Heaven is his destination. And the place that he is headed to physically on earth is Jerusalem. And he sets his face to go there. None of us in this room would want to set our face to head to our death and destruction. Yet this is part of the calling of a, calling of a Christ follower. Is that we would, like Jesus, set our face on the destination that Jesus is taking us to, man. Here's the question. Where are you headed today? Where are you headed? Where, where is your life? What is the trajectory of your life? What is happening right now in your life that points to the place that you're going to wind up someday? Where are you going today? Where are the choices of your life leading you? Listen, our home is not this world. Our home is not this world. This earth is not our home. We are strangers in a foreign land. We are like aliens or visitors looking forward to an eternal destination, which is heaven. This is why we say that following Jesus means setting our attention on our heavenly destination. But in these verses, in these verses as we study, We see problems or distractions in Jesus' journey that are very similar to our own journey. Similar distractions that we face today as we attempt to follow Jesus. In our text, Luke says that Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. He's determined. He's committed to heading to Jerusalem because he's got heaven in mind. And what happens is he encounters people who reject him, right? He encounters these people in the Samaritan village. His disciples go there to prepare the Samaritan village. Get ready. Jesus is coming. And they reject him. And the Samaritans most likely rejected Jesus because he was headed to Jerusalem. Why don't you catch us for a minute? If you were to go to John chapter 4 and you were to study the, the story of the woman at the well, which is the name of our church. As Jesus is speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well, there's this issue that comes up. She's trying to deflect 
things so that Jesus doesn't see the sin in her life, but she's also asking these popular questions of the day like, hey, where should we go to worship God at? Should we go to Jerusalem like the Jews say, or should we go up on the mountainside like our forefathers in, in, in Samaria say? Which place is appropriate? And Jesus is like, man, I'm not even going to dive into that whole issue. I'm really just going to let you know that people who worship God worship him in spirit and in truth, right? That's the real issue. It doesn't matter the place or the location. What matters is the heart. Are we worshiping God in spirit and in truth? But, but the point of this is that this feud between the Samaritans and the Jews had, had been around for a long time. The Jews, when they walk in the Samaritan land, if they had to walk through, they would take out their flip-flops on the other side and they would shake off the dust because they didn't like the Samaritans because to the Jews, the Samaritans were like half-breeds. They were like half-breed cousins of the Jews. And because of that, the Jews had this long feud with the Samaritans. And the Samaritans didn't like going to Jerusalem. So because Jesus had his face set towards Jerusalem, the Samaritans rejected him. Doesn't this sound familiar to us? Let me just think about this for a minute. Doesn't this sound, aren't we often distracted from following Jesus in a faithful, wholehearted, and active way because of the plethora of unbiblical opinions on what it means to follow Jesus. Man, look at James and John. Look at James and John in the text. James and John, affectionately known as the sons of thunder. Think with me for a minute, like WWE wrestling, right? Leotards, big buff guys, uh, face paint. This is, when I think of James and John, the sons of thunder, I think of a tag team wrestling duo. And they head over to the Samaritan village, right? They head over there to prepare the village for Jesus. And when they encounter a bunch of people who are unwilling to receive Christ, what do they do? They come back, they give this report to Jesus, and they're like, hey, the people there didn't receive you because your face is set towards Jerusalem. How about this? Maybe, maybe you should let us just call fire down from heaven and drop bombs on them. Right? Let us just burn them up. Let us burn them up because they're not following you, Jesus. They're not following you the way that we do. And they're not, they may not even be following you at all. Let us burn these people up because they're annoying us. Because they won't follow you. Let us burn up. Let's call fire down from heaven, right? What does Jesus do? Jesus' response is this. His response is he turns and he rebukes James and John and then begins to move on to the other village. What we learn here is that there will be the distraction sometimes of people who will reject Jesus or will not receive Jesus. They will not follow him the way that you are following him. And in those moments, it's too easy to get distracted by that and, and then get into this war back and forth. Well, your church does this. Well, my church does that. Well, my pastor preaches this. Well, our worship team does that. Well, you guys got a church that's kind of dark. Well, ours is all lit up. Well, we do communion this way. Well, we do, well, we sing this song. Well, shut up. Like this isn't, this doesn't have anything to do with following Jesus. It's a preferences. A preferences. And sometimes we allow our preferences to get bigger than they should. And we 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 take preferences and we say, we say, Man, that's more important, and, and then that gets in the way of actually following Jesus towards the destination that we're headed towards, because the destination we're headed towards is heaven. And I imagine there will be people in heaven that you and I thought could never be there. And there are people that will not be there that you and I thought should have, or would have, or could have been there. The 
text is teaching us that as we follow Jesus, we need to keep our eyes focused on the destination of heaven that Jesus is taking us to. But there's more to following Jesus, right? Following Jesus is as much about following him towards our heavenly destination as it is about giving up some things to follow him, right? It's just as much about following Jesus actively and wholeheartedly towards becoming more like him and towards a final destination, but it's also about giving up some things in the process. Look at verses 57 through 58 with me. In verses 57 through 58, Jesus is traveling down the road with his attention set on his heavenly destination, right? Someone comes to him, says, hey, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere you go. I'll follow you anywhere you go, wherever you go. And really, this is the right attitude for a believer. This is the right attitude for someone who wants to follow Jesus. This is the attitude that you and I should have. Jesus, wherever you're headed is where I want to go. Wherever you're taking me, that's where I want to go. If you're taking me into a relationship where I must share Christ, or I must share you boldly, and it's going to cost me, that's where I want to go. Like that should be the attitude. Wherever you're taking me, Jesus, I want to go with you. Here's the thing about Jesus, though. Jesus never sugarcoats things. He never sugarcoats things. He's never like, well, I'm grateful. I'm so glad that you're coming with me. It's going to be fun. It's going to be easy. We're going we're to have a blast. It's going it's to be an adventure. It's going to be different. It's going to be wildly different than any other church you've ever been to. Like any synagogue, any Pharisee that's ever taught you, we're going to have a blast. Like it's going to be relevant. It's going to be super cool relationships. Like the uh, gospel communities there are going to be rocking it out of the park. You're not going to want to go anywhere else because the community here is going to be so cool. And the pastor, let me tell you about the pastor. No, that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not, he's not selling us some great sales pitch to be part of his church. He doesn't sugarcoat anything and he doesn't try to toss out sales pitches to potential disciples. He actually says this, oh great, you want to follow me? Hmm, okay. And I think we should all remember this, just by the way. Seriously. You want to follow me? And foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus is like, okay, cool, cool. So you, you, want, to, you want to come follow me? Great. You want to come follow Jesus? Good. You must be willing to give up all of your material possessions. Think of the wealthy man who came to Jesus at one point and was like, Jesus, I've, I've, uh, I've followed the entire law, done everything right, done what you've asked me in the law. And what can I do now? What must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? What must I do to follow you, Jesus? And Jesus is like, huh, good for you. Glad you followed the law. Glad that you're all like spit shiny clean, got your suit on and your great shoes and all that good stuff. Why don't you go sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and then come back and talk to me? And the text says the dude left really upset. Like, oh, crap, I got to sell everything. I thought by coming here I was going to get a bunch of cool things. What's up with this guy? That's not the same religious leaders I see all around, right? The way Jesus calls us to follow him means that we must be willing to give up our material possessions. It's the second thing that we learn. 
It's a hard thing for us to hear in America. This is hard for us to hear. This is, this is a dangerous place for us to go in our study because we as Americans, and honestly, we as humans, we love our possessions. We're enamored with the next new shiny thing or the next momentary high of purchasing that lawn awaited for belonging. I have in front of me the new iPhone 6. Anybody else want it? Come on, just because I'm preaching doesn't mean you can't raise your hand. Okay, all right, thanks for being honest. I wanted it too, so I got it. <clears throat> I've been wanting it for a while. I'll just stop there. I got a new phone because my other one was shattered. But you get it, and you're like, oh, it's so cool. And you start playing with a new gadget. You know, you get the new car, right? You got to get plates on it, right? You got that story. We got all sorts of stories of just, we are a new shiny gadgets type of people. We get these new things. We play with them for a while. Then after a while, that momentary high leaves. It leaves because it's momentary. Everything on this earth will rust or rot and go away. You can't take it with you when you die. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, following me means you must be willing to give up everything in your possession to actually follow me. But it's hard for us to hear that. A lot of times it's hard for us to hear that because we measure our status or our value based upon what we have or don't have. I'm either here on the totem pole because I have things or I'm lower on the totem pole because I don't have the things everybody else has. And so our status is tied to that. But in Christ, in Christ, our value and our status is not tied to our possessions. It's tied to a person named Jesus who gave his life on the cross, who willingly gave up everything. Think of the possessions that Jesus had in heaven. He came from there. He descended from there to here. He was sitting at the right hand of the Father already, and he came here. He willingly gave up those things, and not only that, but he gave up his life. He gave up his life. So the Jesus who's calling us to follow him in willingness to give up our material possessions is the same Jesus who was willing to give up his own things that you and I might live. Listen, it's much more attractive to say this. Listen close. It's more attractive to say, come follow Jesus and get everything you ever wanted. It's much more attractive to say that. That tickles my ears. I like that. I want a new truck really bad. I want a new boat really bad. I want a camper really, really bad, but I don't have one. I don't have one, okay? You see the frustration on my face? I'm, I'm as normal as anybody else. I don't have those things. I've got a list of handguns I've been wanting for years. I, I don't have those. You know how bad I want them, though? Like, from deep down inside of me, it's like pulling me away. Like, come and buy me. You know you want me. It's intense. It's intense. Anybody else ever feel that intense feeling over a possession or something that you just got to have, right? And the prosperity gospel that we hear is popular. Not just TV evangelists that look like weirdos with way too much makeup on, wave hankies around and get their sweat on them and give them to their leaders and say, you'll be blessed. <laughs> Not just that, but this is popular in our churches today. Popular. I heard a story last night talking with a friend of mine. He was talking about a church he was in where the, where the staff brought in a car and set it in the middle of the stage. And they said, your life is just like this car. And uh, gas has got to go in the car to make it go somewhere. 
And uh, this church is trying to go somewhere. So you need to put money in the church so that you can go somewhere. And so our challenge to you is to give a certain amount of money every month uh, for the next three months and just see if God will bless you. God will bless you. And we'll tell you what, if God doesn't bless you, we'll give you your money back. Money back guarantee on the tithes that you give to God. That's a scam. That's a scam. That's a prostitution of the gospel and it pisses me off. Right? Follow Jesus and you get, follow Jesus and the cancer will be cured if you have enough faith. Follow Jesus and your struggle with sin will be over. I'm going to be good. You'll be okay. Follow Jesus and you fill in the blank. Get whatever it is that you want. But the problem with this is that it's a give to get scheme. Listen, it's a give to get scheme that Jesus never preached. It's a give to get scheme. The reality is this. Following Jesus is not about what he gives you in return for what you give him. Following Jesus, according to the Bible, because the Bible doesn't support this false and heretical theology, the Bible teaches that following Jesus is a response to what he has already done for you and I, not something you do so that Jesus gives you what you want. Jesus is not your puppet in the sky who you control, that if you do this, everything gets better. Like, it's not that if you go to church, marriage gets better. It's not that I'm going to go to a gospel community, so I'm going to overcome this issue. That's, that's, a, that's a prosperity gospel. The reality is what should motivate us is I see Jesus on a cross, bloody, beaten, murdered, terribly, terribly, this was done. And he was perfect. And he did it. He didn't deserve it. And you and I, we, we deserve what, what he took. And so the motivation to follow Jesus and to leave all these material possessions behind, the motivation comes from seeing that picture of him on the cross, willingly giving up everything that he had in heaven so that he could come to this filthy, sin-soaked place so that he could save sinners like you and I so that we could become family members in the family of God so we could be radically changed and radically transformed. We're motivated by that picture alone. And then out of that, thank you, out of that, out of that comes changed and transformed lives. Out of that comes marriages that are radically transformed and changed. Husbands and wives who love each other, pray for one another, lead their children, sacrifice unselfishly. What comes out of that is men who were once hooked into bonds of pornography who are now actively waging war against that sin by the power of the spirit and the power of the gospel at work in their lives as they're being transformed because they're, they see this picture of the cross, Jesus headed towards a heavenly destination, willing to leave it all behind and saying, come follow me the way that I'm walking because I'm doing this for you for the glory of my Father in heaven. And then we too begin living the same way. One of the basic statements of our church here is this. We want to be a church family, a gospel-centered church family. It's making disciples who glorify God. And disciples glorify God by leading their families faithfully, by following Jesus faithfully, by leading their families sacrificially, by making disciples who make disciples 
by sending missionaries across the world, and by planting other gospel-centered churches everywhere. I mean, this, this is our like, foundational statement of our church because we believe in this idea and this concept and this theme of following Jesus fully, completely, total and radical devotion. We believe this. So much so that as a church, people in our church, we're willing to say, Jesus, I'm following you towards a heavenly destination while leaving all these material possessions behind. Philip Ryken says this. He says, Jesus has not called us to a life of luxury, but to a life of suffering service. Listen to that. Jesus has not called us to a life of luxury, but instead to a life of suffering service. Listen, for you, but just to apply this real quick, for you, this might mean, this might mean taking a lower paying job to live in a part of our city that gives you the opportunity to minister to others. Uh, it could mean going without some material things so that you can financially support the work of gospel ministry. It really could mean that. It should mean that for all of us, honestly. It could mean investing the time and the money to be equipped as a gospel minister for the purpose of planting a church or becoming a missionary to a foreign country, or maybe serving as a ministry leader in your local church, or a gospel community leader, or a deacon, or an elder. It could mean any of those things. Whatever the sacrifice is, whatever the sacrifice is for you in terms of material possessions, following Jesus means setting our attention, our focus, our face, setting our attention on our heavenly destination and being willing to give up every material possession that he asks us to. But look, we're not done with the text yet, right? We're just like two-thirds of the way through it. We're not done with the text. Look back with me at, at verses 59 through 62 now. Jesus says this in verse 59. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first, underline that word first, circle that word first. In verse 59, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Verse 60, and Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first. Oh, there it is again. So underline that word first. I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And what does Jesus mean in these verses? What does he mean? Does he really mean that we should neglect our families? Is that what Jesus is saying in this text? Is that to follow him means we need to follow him to the neglect of our families. That, that would seem to be inappropriate and and, and, and not in line with the rest of the teachings in Scripture. It would seem that Jesus would be contradicting much of other Scripture. And, and, and here's the problem. Like, in texts like this, sometimes we as Christians are too afraid to go there, right? Because it, it appears to be contradictory. And our culture around us, one of the biggest arguments against Christianity and the inerrancy or the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of Scripture is that it contradicts itself all the time, right? We hear this. Is that true, though? Is Jesus really contradicting the majority of Scripture? Well, 
I think that a good Bible student and a good Bible study, a good Bible teacher would take the time to wrestle with this because the reality is that Jesus is not in any way contradicting the vast teaching of Scripture in terms of caring for our families. What he's talking about is this word first. Luke is describing what it means to follow Jesus. And he is carefully inserting all throughout this text things, instances, experiences, right? Things that prohibit or compete with our ability to follow him. And with this final section, it's no different, though. In these verses that we just read, the dude is saying, okay, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, let me go bury my father. Okay, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, let me say farewell to those at my home. The issue that Luke is dealing with here is not the common courtesy of caring for our families. The issue that Luke is dealing with here is is the relationships that we place first, the people that we place first, the people that we say come first before following Jesus. That's the issue that Jesus is dealing with. In other words, following Jesus means that we must be willing to prioritize our relationships. Think about this. We must be willing to prioritize our relationships. Look at Jesus' response. Look back at the text to these two potential would-be Christ followers, guys that are kind of interested in possibly following them, especially if it's easier than some of the other religious journeys they try to take, right? To the first man in verse 50, Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. To the second man in verse 62, Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, catch this closely, listen. If you want to follow me, let the spiritually dead bury the dead. Care for the dying. It's good. But let the spiritually dead care for the dying. You, on the other hand, your first priority, your first priority, your first focus, the first thing you must be focused or prioritizing on your list as a spiritually alive person. If you really are a disciple who is following me, let the spiritually dead care for the dying, but you go and preach the gospel. That could mean that as this man is caring for his dying relative, that his first priority in caring for his dying relative is to preach the gospel. And he basically follows it up with this. If you think that you, if you, think that you can do this while looking back and clinging to your earthly relationships, you are not fit for the kingdom of God. And you will not walk straight. You will walk crookedly. Think about this. You're trying to follow Jesus. You're supposed to keep your eyes focused on him and becoming like him and headed towards that heavenly destination where Jesus is now after the ascension. You can't follow him, looking at him, becoming like him if you're always looking back in your rear view. You will drive off a cliff. You will drive off a cliff. And I've watched person after person after person do exactly that. Painful to watch that happen when it's happening. 
cannot follow Jesus while looking in the rear view. This is a very direct statement from Jesus. This is a very bold statement from Jesus. It's a very harsh statement. You cannot follow me if you're looking back at your old life. You cannot follow me if you're always meddling in the old ways of your life. If you're following me, your life must exhibit wholehearted, active, committed, focused change where you're becoming like Christ. Listen, listen. Jesus is not saying, Jesus is not saying that we throw people under the bus. That's not what he's saying. Not saying throw people under the bus to follow me. He's saying that if we have relationships, listen closely, if we have relationships that compete with or inhibit the priority of following Jesus first, then we must get our priorities straight for the sake of following him. If we have relationships, if we have relationships that lead us astray from Jesus, we must get our priorities straight for the sake of following him. We might have to sever some of those relationships. There are some relationships that you may have to completely walk away from because that relationship is costing you and causing you to place Jesus second. Jesus must be first in your life. And what he asks you to do must be first. And I want you to think again with me about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and about Daniel in the Old Testament and about hordes of others throughout the scriptures. It would be much easier for me to place my relationship with my boss if I was in Daniel's shoes or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it'd be much easier for me to place that relationship first because I'm getting money for working for him and it keeps a roof over my head and I stay alive. But when the king, when the pharaoh, when, when the person who is leading those men tries to say, I want to be God in your life, I want to be king, what I say that actually contradicts Jesus, this should be first in your life. Those men say no. No, I can't. I can't do that. To some extent, they must sever some things in their lives because to continue following that relationship and continue looking back at those relationships would then cause them to walk away from Jesus. So what, what Jesus is saying here in this text is that we must set our affection and our attention and our focus and our face towards heaven, a heavenly destination. We're headed there must be willing to give up possessions, worldly and earthly possessions. We must be willing to give up some relationships or even reprioritize those relationships. So I want to invite our music team to come back forward as we conclude our time in the scriptures today. We've studied this text, Luke 9, 51 through 62 and we've learned much about what it means to follow Jesus, but we've learned a lot about what it means to have things in our life that detract from or distract us from or keep us from or hinder us from or stop us from following hard after Jesus. Where is your focus at? Where is your attention at? What are your eyes focused on? What dominates your Thinking, what takes your time? For a guy like me, sometimes it could just be simply one word, theology. I love theology. 
I love reading books about theology. I love getting the words right in terms of theology. I can learn all the theology in the world and never know Christ. Because my attention will be set on something lower than Christ himself. Where is your attention set? Is it it set on the hardships of your life? Is it set on a relationship in your life that you just pray will work? Is it set on hardship that you've walked through in a relationship that you wish you could undo? Is it set on material possessions that you wish you had or that you do have? My hope and my prayer is that somewhere in this message, the Lord has simultaneously done two things for you. Two things. One, encouraged you, encouraged you so that you would see his work and his grace in your life. So you would say, yeah, gosh, Jesus, I see you. You're drawing me towards you. You're helping set my gaze and my focus upon you. I see that happening. This is good. Jesus, you have given me that evidence, that reassurance that you are at work. Now, I, I see you, Jesus, helping me to leave behind some of my desire, my infatuation for earthly possessions or my desire, my infatuation for relationships that would actually tear me away from you. Like you're, you're doing that work in me. That's one thing I hope he's doing for you is giving you that assurance. But simultaneously, my prayer is that he's also convicting you, assuring you and convicting you, convicting you of those places in your life that still need to be sanctified, worked on, cleansed, changed, transformed, where he says, yeah, now that I've assured you, let me also convict you that, man, here's some places in your life where your focus has not been on me. You've been worried about this, or you've been thinking about that, and you've even tried to twist it and make it seem like that thing that you were worried about or thinking about was actually about me, but the reality was it was about you. And let me convict you on that and remind you that you can be set free again because the gospel is an all-time message that continues to set us free. And so then you can turn again in repentance again. Repentance is an everyday thing. You can turn in repentance again and follow hard after him and be refocused on heaven. And maybe, maybe, maybe he's convicting you that there's some things in your life or some people in your life that you might have to reprioritize You might have to cut some things. It's painful. You may have to. You may have to reprioritize, though. He may say, man, there's this relationship that's actually working to take the focus off of me. Here's the thing, guys. Jesus is the most important person who ever lived, ever. He's the most important person that you could have a relationship with. There's no other relationship that that is nearly anywhere close as important than Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus is the most important. Every other relationship, your relationship with yourself, think about that. How you see yourself flows out of how you see Jesus. If Jesus, if God is just a big Santa Claus in the sky who gives you rewards, you'll always work to earn his attention and his love. If Jesus is a big angry daddy in the sky who's always criticizing and pounding hard on you, you'll, you'll always work to earn his affection. Jesus is the one who came and gave up everything so that you could have everything. And the way that you'll relate to him is you'll say, Jesus, I need to come to you and repent and just be in your presence again. And I need you to speak to me. And I need you to change me. I need you to take away all these earthly and worldly affections 
so I can set my gaze upon heaven. The final question for you is this. Are you following Jesus today wholeheartedly, affectionately, actively? Are you following him? That's what I want to leave us with. As we go into a time of worship, let me pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you, Father, for this word. Lord Jesus, I pray that it, that it was used in, 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 the, in the hearts and the lives and the minds of everyone present and hearing this message. I pray that you would use it to help us to follow hard after you. Lord, thank you for your encouragement in the text and thank you for challenging us in the text. I pray, God, that you would help us to hear your voice and to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for letting me preach today, guys. I love you a ton. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.